This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we take a break from ONTAP 9 month to talk about DockerCon and what announcements were made there. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. I'm Justin Parisi. In the studio is Andrew Sullivan. That is correct. You are correct. You win. Occasionally I remember my own name. You win nothing. Also with us today on the phone, Glenn Sizemore. How are we doing, boys? Doing super. You and I are trading off who's uh, in the office and who's at home, Glenn. I know. Yeah, it's it's part of our grand conspiracy called just make sure Justin's always in the office. Yeah. That's the conspiracy that is already happening every day anyway, because I'm too dumb to work from home, apparently. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the support. Um, in the studio with us today to talk about DockerCon. This just happened, uh, I don't know, a week or two ago in Seattle. Uh, Garrett Mueller, uh, been on the podcast before. Say hello, Garrett. Hello, Garrett. Never gets old. I'm pretty sure everybody does that. So everybody, does I, I, have that. To, I have to join the club. Garrett, tell everybody what you do if they have not heard of you before. Yes, I'm a technical director here at NetApp, and I run what's called the Barnacle Team, which is our container integration and engineering strategy team. A uh, bunch of guys and gals that just uh, figure out this whole container business. Do they give you a director's chair? Uh, you know, like a little black one. That the no, and one of those little. No, I want one now go, though. You can go cut in no. five. Sully, give me a director's chair. Uh, I just need your call center. And I'll <laughs> oh, wait. I don't have a budget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. No budget. No director chair. Damn. <laughs> On the phone with us today, John Griffith. John, tell us what you do and uh, what you're inter- interested in with Docker, I guess. I don't know. Just let me start that over. I keep doing this because I can't think of anything else to say after what you do. So start <laughs> over. That's enough, man. You don't need anything I know, more. No, I'm that. an idiot. <sighs> also with us today is John Griffith. John, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I was really hoping I was going to get the uh, John say hello, and I was going to okay, say hello. Hey, John, say hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> so uh, I'm John Griffith. I'm an engineer at uh, SolidFire, now part of NetApp. Um, been working with containers and OpenStack and cloudy things and just kind of doing stuff for a while now. So Stuff. That's like stuff. my official. That's my official title. Stuff. That that is that was in my email uh, signature and on my LinkedIn profile for a while is guy that does stuff. So I think Andy Banta has storage janitor on lock. Yeah, yeah, he's got that. That's a pretty good one. I like that. So John, have we have we had you on the podcast before? Yeah, we did. Uh, hmm. Oh, I can't remember. Uh, it, was the, it, it was the lead into OpenStack. Well, Summit. this is awkward. Yeah, yeah. No, I, was, think it was, <laughs> I think it was a pre-talk before uh, the OpenStack Summit. Also, I think we did some stuff around the initial um, announcement of SolidFire slash NetApp and all that stuff. Yeah. No, I, I was just trying to, uh, in a roundabout way, call attention to the fact that you're not just some random OpenStack containers guy. You have uh, quite the history there. Yeah, I've got a, a little bit of history. So I've, I've been working on OpenStack for, uh, I started uh, four and a half years ago, um, working on block storage and actually started the Cinder project, kind of helped lead that with a whole bunch of help from a lot of people. 
um, did that for a long time. And then about a year, year and a half ago, I started kind of branching out and doing some other things with uh, containers and Docker stuff and things like that. And still trying to do the OpenStack stuff and kind of just doing a whole bunch of different things. So so when do you sleep? Uh, yeah. So sleep. Uh, when you're dead. Yeah. Who needs sleep? Sleep's no fun. You sleep when you're dead. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast because I know both of you have on, been on here before uh, multiple times. Now you know. I knew before. I, I was I was leading was, the horse. He was teasing it up, man. Exactly. Teeing it up, totally. teasing it up. Yeah, sure. So, Mr. I, have you been here before, John? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Matt. The three of us were out in Seattle, not Portland, last week uh, for DockerCon. <laughs> Uh, so we wanted to, uh, I-, I wanted to get you guys on the podcast in order to just have a little bit of a roundtable about the things that we saw, the things that we experienced, what the overall feel was, and just generally uh, inform the listeners about all things Docker related from DockerCon. So uh, Garrett, I'm going to throw the ball at you first and say, uh, so since you were at Barcelona last year, what was, what was the big changes from your perspective? Can you throw the ball to me though, instead of at me? I yeah. mean, so I like to play dodgeball with baseballs. Okay. You know, li- live dangerously. <laughs> you can catch a wrench, you can catch a dodgeball. Exactly. So with my black eye, <laughs> I'll explain. So first thing we got to do is describe DockerCon Portland, I think, for a minute, because you tease that up. But you, I, why do I keep on saying teased up? It's teed up. So where did we get Portland from? Is this an inside yeah, joke I'm missing? It is. It we is. Need, we need to explain it, though. It's, it's, it's worth explaining. So let's see if we can do, do the fast version. Yeah, so the, the five-second version is uh, Mr. Atwell accidentally heard Portland when it should have been Seattle and booked five his seconds, travel. Five seconds, you're up. <laughs> Man, you he go. just, like, cratered it. <laughs> go again. So, yeah, uh, Josh heard Seattle, or heard Portland when it should have been Seattle, booked his travel and everything, and then realized his mistake and had to rebook. So for the last several months, we have all been quietly giving him a hard time about... Uh, you know, DockerCon is in Seattle, not Portland. And the uh, first day, uh, right before the booth opened, Garrett gave uh, uh, made a big presentation inside of the booth for all the booth staff, where we we gave Josh a DockerCon Portland T-shirt. <laughs> That's pretty good. Nice. That's pretty good. How did you make the Portland? Did you just cross it out with marker and write Portland on it? Uh, I'll. Garrett did all the magic behind the scenes. So no, I just basically stole the DockerCon logo. I mean, borrowed the DockerCon logo and then put it, Portland in the DockerCon font or Docker font under the underneath. It looked pretty legit. If I had been Josh, I would have doubled down and just still flown to Portland and then taken the train to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he. I guess that's he looked actually, at that. That's actually a good train ride. I've yeah. done that. So uh, that's I, that's not that bad. I mean. At least he at least he realized like the week of. It wasn't, you know, the night prior when he was packing. It wasn't a Fletcher passport snafu. It wasn't so, a so, it, ask, yeah. so ask him about some of the other mistakes that he made too. So I'm not gonna say <laughs> with that shirt that Andrew's wearing right now, actually. <laughs> yeah, I happen to be wearing the shirt right now. <laughs> <laughs> so actually I, I, I we're not sure who made the mistake. I'm not gonna like give anybody individually any grief, but uh we, we made these shirts that all the booth staff wear because you know generally you wear the same stuff. And uh it has it says we speak developer on it. And it has a bunch of technologies that we, you know, we associate with this environment and this ecosystem. And uh, it, it originally, it, they're all, all alphabetical and it had a lot of great stuff on there. It ended up with something that says, has Docker on there twice. 
and in not in alphabetical order. And also, mesosphere is spelled wrong. It's spelled mesosphere. <laughs> <laughs> I oh just, god no. it's kind of it's, it's a syndrome i think so, so it's like i'm part, afraid of mesos or something the best part the best part about the docker uh word is that it's right next to each other pretty much you can't miss it you really can't although the mesosphere one we actually missed for a long time i think we were in the space needle going up the elevator and some guy from adobe said do you realize mesosphere is spelled wrong <laughs> why yes we do like you called us out all right thanks so. No, it's a new technology. You haven't heard of it? <laughs> but we, we can't blame Josh for that one. I actually saw the, the, the template that he sent over, and it looked good. So that, that one's not Josh's fault. Mesosphere, yeah. now with less S. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last minute. I think I think they basically printed those shirts the day before they all left. So All right, so uh, uh, all kidding aside, right? we had a lot of fun with Josh and, and giving him a hard time about that. But uh, he uh, there was no harm that came out of it. Right? He fixed his, his error, at least with the travel, right? the shirts we can't blame on him. Uh, pretty quickly. Um, so it, jumping back to the original question, right? So I was at DockerCon US last year. I did not get to go to Barcelona because we had an overlap with Insights. Um, but I know that the there was a difference just between those two shows in six months. And now you, it's going from a thousand person show in Barcelona to 4,000 people uh, up in Seattle. So can you give me your perspective, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, th- that was a that was a huge difference. I mean, just the size of the show alone. I mean, also Seattle was fantastic. Usually it's, you know, people complain it's, it's rainy a lot of the time and it's hard to get around. It was like sunny and beautiful every day. I mean, like in the 70s and out here in North Carolina, it was like 100 degrees plus every day. So it was a nice little respite, I guess. Yeah, I was a little disappointed. I was promised rain and flannel and I saw neither. Yeah, yeah. No grunge or anything. I don't know. I guess they're, they're past it. <laughs> but we, so i mean we, we had a, a pretty good weekend i'm I, I do have to do a little bit of a negative shout out to, to docker on hosting it on father's day i mean that was that was pretty much a constant annoyance for a lot of people um but aside from that i uh, i think it was a really great conference um we we got to hang out as a team on on sunday in the afternoon and then it led right into the to the conference sunday night and the conference was monday and Tuesday as well. And it was a pretty solid packed end-to-end kind of a conference. Um, like you said, it was a lot larger than before. Um, there were not only 4,000, I think 4,100 is what they ended up saying at the end of the show, uh, people there, but there was a th- over 1,000 people on the wait list. So it was, you know, clearly the momentum is just increasing. Um, I would say the, the the really big change just from like a show perspective, in addition to the number of people, is probably the conversations that we had too. So the conversations have shifted in just six months from I've heard about this container thing, I need to get my arms around it. Um, what are we talking about here and what can you do to I'm about this close or I have already put it in production and I've got these new use cases how can you help me? And it's really starting to become a much more serious, like we're it's imminent or we're already there kind of conversation as opposed to six months ago. But um, I, I think the community is trying to build, you know, that, that, that enterprise case, you know, along with this, 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 uh, this, this motion to deploy it in production across many different organizations and all verticals and, and all that too. So pretty exciting. Yeah, I'll add in that, you know, the conversations in the booth were drastically different um, in that we had several people who came up and it's, hey, so I'm a developer and this is my ops guy. So how can we, how do we do, you know, persistence with with NetApp storage or 
the ops guy coming up and saying, so we have a whole bunch of NetApp and our, my devs are deploying, uh, you know, using Docker or Kubernetes or whatever it happens to be. How can we integrate? What do we what do we need to know? Um, so, yeah, it was it was a, a lot of very different conversations. So, so John, was this your first DockerCon? No, actually. Uh, so I did not go to Barcelona, um, but I did go to uh, last summer's uh, 2015 conference in San Francisco back in June. Um, it was kind of interesting because, again, same same type of deal, right? So that one was uh, 2,000 people, I think, somewhere around there. Um, much different feel. No, like, exhibit hall or anything. It was I was joking with people. It was, uh, you know, all the all the vendors and stuff had their booths along the lined along the hallways down to the conference rooms. And I remember walking down thinking how unbelievably packed it was, and that if there was a fire, we were all going to die, right? Because it was it was crazy. But, um, but yeah, so this is my second one. Uh, it was it was pretty interesting. A lot of the same things that you know Garrett pointed out. Um, a lot of growth. A lot of more interest. A lot of people actually using it in production. Um, but the thing that's always been impressive to me about the, the Docker conferences more than anything else is the fact that they don't really talk about Docker itself that much, right? They talk more about what people are doing with it um, and how they're doing it as opposed to, you know, oh, this is how you get it installed and this is how you do this and it's so hard and blah, none of that stuff, right? So it kind of fits with the mantra that they had at this uh at this conference, they, they kept talking about they wanted to uh, basically have you not talk about Docker, not think about Docker, just think about the problems that you solve with it, right? So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I thought one of the kind of iconic slides from, I think it was the day one keynote, was when, you know, uh, uh, Ben Golub got up and, and flashed, or maybe it was Solomon, you know, had a giant slide that said, you know, nobody cares about containers, yeah, uh, which is you know kind of true. Most most particularly application people just don't care about the infrastructure at all. It's all about how can I do what I need to do when I need to do it. Yeah, and and I think that's you know that that's the the smartest tack on the whole thing, in my opinion, is is when you get it to a point where people don't care about that and it doesn't actually mean anything to them. I mean, they know what they're using, they know what they're consuming, and they love it, and it's great. Um, but they don't actually have to think about it. It's it's pretty cool, and, right. and that's it's kind of a game changer. And I think that the end to end. I mean, Solomon talked about it too. He just basically they look at themselves as a, as a tools organization. They're they're basically trying to provide functionality in the simplest way possible, and then get the hell out of the way, which is yeah a great yeah. mantra. Yeah, agreed. So the day one keynote, uh, I think, was the one that had the announcements. Um, so the the three announcements, in case anybody missed them, were. Docker for Mac and Docker for Windows are now out of closed beta or private beta and in open beta. Uh, Docker 1.12 with integrated orchestration is now available. And then Docker for AWS and Azure. So I kind of wanted to go through the three of those and, and hear you guys hear uh, both of your thoughts on each one of those. So we'll start with the, uh, the Docker for Mac and Docker for Windows. And during the keynote, they talked a lot about how this is really positioned as enabling developers, right? Making developers' lives simpler by eliminating the Docker toolbox using VirtualBox to create a crutch VM in order to do those, those Docker functions. So... Uh, Garrett, I'll, I'll start with you, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So I actually used the Docker for Mac beta. I've been using it for maybe a couple of months now. Um, and 
I have to agree. The experience, their vision is that the experience would be much more streamlined, and that you wouldn't have to care so much about the what's what's going on under the covers. It just feels like you have a Docker engine running on your Mac. Now, let's be clear: it is still a Linux virtualized uh, environment that's running on your Mac under the covers. It uses an XHive thing, which is based on Beehive, which is a NetApp technology, actually. So that's kind of cool. Um, the uh, and that's based on BSD virtualization stuff that we were doing a, a while ago. So the cool thing is that uh, all that stuff is kind of just handled for you. And you just have your Docker command set and you run Docker uh, applications and they run as you would expect. And I, I have to agree, the experience with Toolbox was that you can get your uh, your default machine, the one that it creates for you that it's trying to manage all this stuff with, uh, in in weird states, or you end up ha- ending up having to destroy it or bring it up and down, and it, it, it very much was kind of in your face that you're dealing with this thing. But with the the XHive implementation and the 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 simplified UI around it, or kind of almost UI-less experience that they have. I think it's uh, it's much improved, and I didn't try the the Windows version. I know it's based on Hyper-V, and I, I believe it's you know a, probably a fairly similar experience. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's a great move. So, John, are you a are you a Windows or a, a Mac? <laughs> Windows. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Surely you jest. <laughs> so, so Windows. I'm XP, actually. Right? <laughs> I've, I've actually been a longtime uh, Linux user, but I did I did recently uh, start using a Mac, a MacBook, just because it's nice to travel with and good battery. And um, so, like Garrett, I, I've been using the beta for for a few, at least a few months now, and um, I, I'm thrilled. It's awesome. I mean, most of my work, I'm actually logging into my Linux boxes anyway, but. Um, but to have the ability offline on a plane, you know, stuff like that, to spin up containers and, and mess with them and stuff like that on my laptop, it's completely seamless. There's there's like from from my usage perspective, there's almost no difference between being on my Linux box versus being on my Mac, which is fantastic. I mean, it's they did a great job. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, although, in all honesty, while I do primarily use Windows, uh, I very rarely actually do work beyond PowerPoint and Outlook on my Windows desktop. I don't so, think you have to qualify that, actually. I yeah. Think just... <laughs> so, no, well, no. So I, I'm fortunate enough to have access to a, a non-inconsequential amount of lab resources here at NetApp. So I can run most things there. But I also I, I am going through or, or recently went through the pain of switching my laptop to being primarily Linux with a Windows virtual machine. Uh, so I can cheat that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> my experience with the Mac uh, Docker previous version of it was just okay i can't i can't use this it just wasn't working for me so i'm I'm anxious to try the beta now that it's open yeah the other cool thing that they dealt with and i haven't heard any i mean i didn't really run into this issue too much because i didn't use it too much on the vpn but that was a big complaint from a lot of people with the with docker toolbox is that if you had a vpn in it tries to do some networking magic and that networking magic was pretty much compatible with what vpns were trying to do so uh they tried to address a lot of that with with this as well and i've heard i haven't heard anything which probably means that it's it's been addressed because people were asking for it for that reason yeah I, i'm I, on the i was just gonna say i'm on the vpn now and it works great so yeah i think it's i think they hammered a lot of that out cool so i did want to point out though that uh the docker for windows is not the same thing as windows containers right and that docker for windows is intended for your laptop or or your desktop right and it spins up that hyper v based linux virtual machine in order to give you a Docker environment, whereas Windows containers, and which will be available in Server 2016, uh, are true 
Windows containers, right? You're spinning up either Nano Server or uh, uh, Glenn. What's the other one that it spins up that I can't remember? Server Core. Server Core. Thank you. So yes, they are uh, similar but not the same, at least from a user experience perspective. So Docker 1.12, uh, there was uh, uh, so my recollection from last year at the keynotes, right? Docker did a lot of talking about uh, about open sourcing, right? Taking the the core executable, putting it into OCI, the Open Container Initiative, and all of that. Uh, this year, at least in the U.S., uh, with 1.12, it was a lot more, you know, hey, uh, in particular, orchestration is a big deal, and it's super, super easy now. Uh, it used to be somewhat painful. Now it's, I think, one command to create the cluster on the first node, and then one command on each node after that to join the cluster. So, uh, John, I'll, I'll start with you this time. What are your thoughts on Docker Swarm being integrated into Docker 1.12? Oh, I think it's huge, um, and I think it's fantastic. So I, I actually have been playing with it on my Mac a little bit, just, you know, spinning up a few things here and there and messing with it. And it's, it in, in my opinion, it's it completely changes the whole thing, right? Because what, what people are really interested in are clustering and orchestrating containers and stuff like that, right? So Docker at the lowest level. It's cool. It's neat. Uh, but when you want to really start building things and going out, everybody's looking at a, you know Kubernetes and Mesos and, and Swarm and everything else. Um, I think Swarm, uh, you know, traditionally in the past did, didn't get a lot of didn't get a ton of love, you know, from from people as far as adoption and stuff like that. Um, but the fact that now it's fully integrated in and it's so easy, um, I, I I don't know how you don't at least try it. I mean, it's just it's it's such a piece of cake now it's it's great so what are your what are your thoughts on orchestration in general right I, I think that it's a so my personal thoughts right it's a space that most people are just figuring out right hey i've got this microservice or cloud native application you know and, and the orchestrator replaces uh, a fair amount of what used to be automation uh, in in the quote-unquote olden days so uh, I don't know. How, how do you perceive orchestration to be maturing? Do you think it's something that will see widespread adoption or only with uh, the, the new or, or microservice architect architected applications? So I, I think, honestly, um, it's, it's kind of an interesting question to me because I, I've, I've heard it a number of times over the past few months. Um, I, I think we're already seeing it. Um, I, I think there's already a lot of adoption and a lot of adoption in places that you wouldn't expect it. You know what I mean? Um, so, so companies that may be thought of as traditional, you know, brick and mortar IT and stuff like that, um, they're, they're already taking the plunge, right? And, and the reason why is because what they're finding is the orchestration that you get, you know, whether it's the, the, the built-in stuff in 1.12, which, you know, we'll see how all that pans out. Um, but, you know, say Mesosphere or Kubernetes and stuff like that. The fact is people are finding that, hey, once I get this deployed and figure it out and I understand how it works and everything, it, it is a complete game changer for how I do things. It makes everything so much easier, so much faster and so much more in, you know, the scalability and everything else. So it, it's it's really cool to kind of watch. And I think it's um, I think it actually doesn't get as much press or recognition as it probably should. Um, but I think that's going to change. Um, I think I think that it's uh, it, it's growing pretty rapidly and catching on, and and I think that's really the important piece. Um, so, 
Yeah, very cool. You know, I, I agree, right? Orchestration, it getting easier only makes it more uh, more widespread or more uh, apt to be adopted in a widespread manner. Uh, so, so Garrett, Docker 112, what, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I have to agree with John. I think it's a great step in the right direction for Docker. I think that uh, for the last six months or so, uh, a lot of the uh, thought, uh, the, the kind of ecosystem thoughts had moved away from Swarm as as one of the you know real viable orchestration options uh, relative to what Kubernetes especially could do uh, and and Mesos as well right um, you know with, with Marathon and things like that it's just uh, those things seem to be moving uh, more towards this you know application centric approach to uh, delivering services um, and I think that Swarm basically if, if everything works the way that they you know, uh, described in in the keynote, and it's brand new. Nobody's really had a chance to get their arms around it yet. Um, but if we figure out that they're anywhere close, I think they they basically have gotten right back in it, and uh, they'll have they have a, a great solution that's definitely worth looking at. Um, I think that the the on top of just the basic initial ability to create a swarm, right? Like you mentioned, you have the init and you have the join, um, which is a great way to uh, it creates an automatically for you a mesh network across all those nodes, and it actually handles the TLS key management for you too, which was a huge burden whenever you're trying to set up some new thing, right? It just handles that for you, so all the communications encrypted. That's awesome. But the other bit is that. Um, the 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 new nodes and services interfaces that they provide, especially the services interface, right, which allows you to uh, manage these these multi-container entities, you know, in in a way that that makes a lot more sense to expose it as a service outside of that mesh network, you know, that 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 is running on all of the nodes or some of the nodes or you know, and is automatically load balanced for you. All those properties you're looking for that you get out of like a, out of Kubernetes with the queue proxies and things are things that they're gonna na- they're natively providing now too. So I think um, that combined with the the experimental support that they announced for what they're calling I think a distributed application bundles or I think it's distributed um, the DABs right. Uh, uh, along with stacks. So uh, what it is, is a, a DAB is basically a collection of services that make up an application, right, that is turned into an image. And that image can then be deployed, and that when you deploy that, it becomes a stack in the Docker parlance, right? So I mean, I think what you're seeing there is they're, they're starting to realize, I mean, they are probably, I'm sure they knew this for a while, that uh, Docker Compose is great. But the problem with Compose is that it's not... It's not an image. It's not something you can distribute easily, like you can distribute an individual container or a, a portion of a microservice application. A, more, a microservice is a portion of an application, right? And so these DABs, I'm, I'm imagining what they're going to do is they'll, they'll make DABs a first-class citizen within the registry as well. They don't do this yet, but I imagine that'll become something you can then distribute as a whole application that has pieces that are built on microservices rather than you know, monolithic applications. This is pretty much all you can you can distribute today, right? So that all I think all of that is very exciting, and I can kind of see the vision coming together. And I think that uh, you know, it, in, in as far as Kubernetes is competing with Docker at that level, and and Mesos and Mesosphere competing at that level, I think they all have a run for their money. Yeah, it was my observation was that you know if if we equate the orchestrators to hypervisors, right? In the hypervisor world, it was always VMware. That was way out in the lead. And then you had Microsoft playing catch up and KVM just kind of doing their thing for a long time. 
Um, they've they've largely caught up, and they're largely uh, equivalent now. Um, there's, of course, always differentiators, but it's not like it used to be. And with the three primary orchestrators, right, or the, th the three that we see most frequently, so Kubernetes, uh, Mesos slash Mesosphere, and, and Docker Swarm, it seems like whoever has the most recently re recent release is who happens to be leading at the moment. And considering that they all release relatively frequently, it's sort of a neck-and-neck neck thing. There's, there's a lot of really great work that's going on. There's a lot of really rapid work going on. Um, you know, as somebody who's worked in the enterprise for a long time, the, the pace of releases is somewhat terrifying. So That's great. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, I guess maybe uh, if, if I'm having to support those things, it might be uh, a little bit interesting. Yeah, it is confusing. I, I think there's, there's that uh, foundation we're a member of, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. One of the points of, of that foundation, why we all got together, is we're trying to make that whole... Uh, that process of understanding how you put together these new platforms easier to to grok, especially over time as these things evolve, right? Because like it, it's it there is a lot of motion in a lot of different directions, and it's hard to understand, um, you know. And that's that's why we're here is to help people understand that. Uh, another thing I want to bring up is is in, in orchestration in general. Um, I did talk to a lot of people at the conference that were that were in that in that place. They were they were confused, you know. Do I choose Mesos? Do I choose Kubernetes? Now, now Swarm is here. Now now I've got to really you know do this full exercise against all of them. Um, and I think what we're finding is that I mean maybe even to make it more complicated is some apps you know tend to work better on one or or, or more built against one like big data analytics a lot of times is a has been in mesos for a while so you know you can more naturally uh get that running there but kubernetes can also run it too so it's all there's a big question it might be app specific is it environment specific which roadmap do i get on and uh, i talked to the rancher guys i think it's worth looking at what they're doing because they're trying to uh help you not have to make that choice you know because they actually support uh, running all of these different orchestrators as part of their platform, right? And so then you can, you know, allow your developers that are trying to decide how to run their specific application on one of the on, on one of these things, especially in a larger environment. We're going to have you probably are going to end up having a Kubernetes cluster and a Mesos cluster and a Swarm cluster. You might have multiple, uh, you know, versions of all of those things. You know, managing that uh, is, I think, a very interesting thing that they're doing, right? Uh, allowing you to manage that. Yeah, so a, a bit of a, a different question, maybe. Uh, so do you foresee that we will have multiple clusters, whether they be Swarm, Mesos, uh, Kubernetes, or, or a mixture thereof, uh, where it's more one per business unit or one per application or, or an, an application and its dependencies? Or do you see you know, massive farms, you know, a, a thousand node swarm cluster that the entire business uses, a la VMware, where you typically have one virtualization farm and everybody uses that same farm. Yeah, I mean, I've heard all, all variants of that, right, in terms of what people are actually deploying. I, everything from a single application per cluster, right, uh, to, 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 you know, business unit uh, delineations and, and everything in between, right? And so, you know, obviously what I think... They would. We would like. What you would like to get to is you would like to get to the point where you can have everything, all the hardware abstracted so much that you have all of your resources available to you for all of your applications within your business or or or, or you know the, the the larger company because that gives you the most opportunity to make use of these resources and not waste them. But reality, you know, 
stares that in the face pretty quickly. <laughs> and, and, and so, yeah, I think you end up with multiple clusters, uh, you know, for, for, for very good reasons. And I think that's all, all fine. I think also you'll end up with different clusters for things like, you know, blue green deployments, you know, things like I'm, I'm staging it in one area. I'm, I, I'm actually moving into production in a different cluster because I have, you know, different hardware, I have, you know, different SLAs on that hardware or whatever. So I think all that stuff comes into play and I think it's fine. All the orchestrators uh, as, all of the orchestrators are looking to deal with that situation, you know, as they as the, the the roadmaps continue. I think Kubernetes, for example, is looking at something called Ubernetes, which is the ability to tie multiple Kubernetes clusters together, because you naturally want to, in some cases, want those things to be able to talk to each other to move applications between them. And I think that's a great story for us in terms of like vision and strategy, you know. Um, and our, you know, we don't talk about it a whole lot in, on on podcasts about Docker, but there's a data fabric vision that we have in NetApp, which is the ability to move data seamlessly from one environment to another across all of our platforms, right, as part of applications. And I think you can start to see how we think these kinds of uh, eventualities will fit, fit seamlessly into what we're trying to do. Yeah, so yeah, I, absolutely. I, I think that's a really interesting segue because I, I didn't bring up John's uh, background uh, uh, on accident or, or just because I like to talk about John's background. You know, uh, John, I, I kind of wanted to lean on your expertise and your experience, you know, coming from the sender side of things. You know, I tend to see a lot of parallels in what's happened with OpenStack. And, you know, they sort of pioneered, or I guess AWS and OpenStack as the clone, right, pioneered this concept of distributed applications, right, service-oriented architecture being the manifestation of that and now microservices. So do you see from a storage perspective, right, what's happening with Docker volumes? Is Are there parallels there with what happened in Cinder? Is there similar functionality? Yeah, so I, th I think there's a lot of parallels, um, and not just on the storage side, but just in general, right? Um, but it's kind of interesting, especially on the storage side, at least for now. What's What's been interesting to me is look at the different approach of that the Docker has taken and said, okay, here is a very simple, very basic, easy to use set of APIs, period. And then if people want to go off and develop plugins and stuff like that outside of the repo, um, that's fine. All they have to do is just, you know, match these interfaces. Um, in retrospect, I look back at it and while some people think that's a recipe for disaster and everything else, um, I think it's probably the smartest move they could have made. Um, and the reason being is one of the things that happened in Cinder is now you've got, you know, in, in OpenStack in general, is you've got so many interests and so many folks that are involved, right? And, and all great people and doing great things. Um, what happens is you end up bloating the APIs and interfaces with all kinds of things that, you know, 5% of the actual users are, or 5% of the users are actually going to use, right? Um, the difference with Docker is by kind of having that firewall, so to speak, right? They keep everything simple, everything basic. It's just down to the essence. And if vendors want to add value outside through plugins and stuff like that, they're certainly free to do that and, and they can do that, but it doesn't confuse the ecosystem or the actual base product itself. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but um, it, it's something I've been thinking about a lot uh, for the last year, year and a half. Um, and it's, I, I think it's kind of a smart way to go because as you get more people involved, um, and do more design by committee, it just makes things a little bit more difficult. So, uh, again, with uh, relying on your, your experience, right, is there, do, do, does storage for this generation of applications, does it fundamentally change, right? I, I think that, and 
when I talk with with people outside of an event like DockerCon, right, there's a lot of apprehension on how the application and how it uses, consumes, right, what storage means uh, for that application yeah. changes. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'd very much like to hear your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's a great point. And sometimes I kind of miss that, right? Because I'm so forced for the trees kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I, I think it I think it does change things. Um, and I think it changes them for the better, right? Um, so I, I think that, uh, you know, persistent storage isn't going away. Um, I, I talk about this a lot. People, everybody wants to talk 12-factor app and the world is ephemeral and blah, blah, blah. But the, the reality is, it's not. We, we write all these applications and we develop all this code and everything else to do things with data. Um, and typically, we care about that data. Um, you, can, you can say pets versus cattle or whatever. Data is always going to be kind of a pet. You, you always need to have that around, right? So, um, so there, there's definitely always going to be that requirement. The other thing is, um, or, or the thing that's different is how you use and consume that data and what you expect to be able to do with your data, right? And and that's where automation and scale out and all those things come in, right? So those are critical. Those become super critical things, super important. Um, and then, you know, the same thing that, that Docker and the same thing that OpenStack was setting out to do um, is ease of use. The whole idea is you just want it to be dead simple to use and, um, and reliable. And, and that's kind of the key. Um, so I, I think, you know, as evidence, you know, by the, uh, the number of storage startups and things like that at DockerCon, um, it's a changing world and, and it's, you know, adapt or, or kind of get lost in the shuffle. Um, most companies are adapting and, and kind of moving on and, and trying to figure out how to make sure that they, they play in this, this new world and stuff like that. And they have all these little, you know, criteria that I'm talking about, um, all kind of met. And it's, it's kind of cool to watch. It's, it's probably the most exciting thing that's happened in storage in probably 15 years, <laughs> at least since I've been working on it. Cause you know, storage is kind of boring for most people. I mean, it's, it's an infrastructure service. People don't generally want to think about it unless you're the storage yeah. admin. You just want it to work. Right. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I'll uh, I still have so many more questions that I'd love to ask you guys, but I'll uh, go ahead and move on to the third announcement uh, from the day one keynote, which was Docker for AWS and Azure. Um, so the gist of it here is that you can really really easily spin up an an AWS or Azure Swarm cluster, and it abstracts away those services just like if it were local. Uh, including Garrett mentioned the overlay network that it that it stands up. It'll automatically take advantage of, you know, the equivalent Azure and and Amazon services in order to create those overlay networks and the load balancers and everything else. Um, so, uh, I'll, Garrett, I, I'd l like to hear your uh, thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I think it's actually a one click for Docker data center, right? Which is. Uh, Docker Data Center is a bunch of different services. It includes Swarm, it includes uh, UCP, uh, the Universal Control Plane, it includes DTR, the, the, the Docker Trusted Registry, uh, and a bunch of other things. And so it, it's it's Docker's revenue generating product. It's the one that they're trying to sell to enterprises and to companies that are trying to put together, uh, you know, a Docker ecosystem in order to you know deploy their applications. Um, and I think it's 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 a great move for them because it's a, an easy way for people to get at the technology in a supported way, 
and, and something that people can build upon without having to, to, to stitch all of that together themselves in a way that in, in environments that they're used to working in, right? In other words, a lot of the companies, I mean, not, not all of them, because we saw a, a ton of companies that had large data centers and a tons of NetApp storage at DockerCon too, but there are, of course, all the other companies, especially startups that are, you know, starting off in AWS or starting off in Azure and have all of their infrastructure in those places. And uh, so, for, so for, for those sorts of uh, those companies, especially uh, that kind of uh, supported Docker ecosystem in those environments is a big win. John, any, uh, any thoughts to add? No, I, I think uh, those are all great points. I, you know, I've also have not had any experience actually using it or anything like that, but, but the key is, um, you know, kind of going back to the whole point, people don't want to care about infrastructure, right? They don't want to care if it's Azure or AWS or GCE or DigitalOcean or, you know, whatever, um, or their local, you know, of course, you know, their in-house IT shop. Um, they want it to all just, just work. Um, and, and I think this is a huge step in that direction. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that, you know, we had several conversations in the booth, um, and I say several, I mean, at least a dozen, if not more, where it was, you know, people saying, well, how do I control how much storage my application is is consuming or, or you know, from a storage administrator perspective, right? How do I prevent them from, you know, consuming all this extra storage? And it's one of those where the old school storage admin, right, the guys who who very tightly control and make all every little decision about every single you know bite and where it's going that's that's going away right it's relinquishing that control allowing the tools to be able to manage it for you and more importantly allowing the applications and the the developers the administrators to consume the resources that they need when they need it yeah, it's a very, a very big part of, I guess, this whole DevOps initiative, right? The whole DevOps mentality is that all of those decision points that you used to have to make manually, right? You had a storage administrator who was making those kinds of decisions. You had a network administrator that was uh, you know, provisioning VLANs or whatever, right? The whole infrastructure stack had all these decision points. I think uh, this, the simplification that this allows in order to, it, still providing a lot of the advanced functionality that you would ex, that you need for an application to work in, at scale especially, but in a way that can just be consumed by the application developer, uh, you know, is, is very empowering. And it's extremely fast compared to the older ways. Yeah, I will say this yeah. is, it's one area where SolidFire has a really interesting architecture in that there is no aggregate. Right. There is no volume. Right. You don't have to decide which options to set or, or, you know, hey, through my uh, my experience and intuition. Right. I think that we should place this this volume on this aggregate and stuff like that. Right. Solid fire. You just create the volume. It distributes it across the nodes and you control the QoS interface. So mm -hmm. it is, yeah. uh, you know, the underlying the supporting infrastructure technologies are improving, are getting better at that. Um, even an on tap right with the new uh, what do we call it an on tap nine uh, headroom. Right. So Headroom is making those decisions easier as well. So the, the tool chains are, are changing. I, I love the idea of a guy sitting in a room with like uh, that gets an email that basically says, hey, in about two days or about, let's say, two weeks, you're going to run out of performance on this cluster. You better buy some more. And that's the only interaction you have with the box. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a pretty yeah. amazing so thing. It's funny because I always I always talk to people and I always tell them I was like the the, the whole idea and kind of the the mission behind SolidFire and and all these new technologies and now NetApp and and, and a lot of folks is um, basically the storage admin traditional that traditional job goes away right 
it, it, it's great to still have somebody there that, that, you know, handles, you know, day-to-day things that might come up or, or more importantly, focuses on adding value to the company in other places. So provisioning a volume out of a pool or out of a shelf or whatever and calculating all that and figuring that out, that's not adding value, right? So that, that should go away. And that's what we're all aiming to do now. Um, so it's, it's kind of cool to watch. Yeah. I think Solifier is huge for that. I mean, and, and the, the number one biggest reason to buy them, I think was that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's, it's funny, right? I very deliberately use the terms experience and intuition because when, when I was a customer, right, when I was a junior storage administrator and I'm talking with the senior administrator, right, the guy who was basically responsible for it, you know, it, asking simple questions like, so how do I decide when somebody requests a LUN, right, how do I decide which disk to use, where to put it? And his, sure. his straight-faced exact response was experience and intuition, to which my response was, you mean guessing? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. As yeah, anybody who has experience will tell you, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. It, it's funny. It goes back to the whole, you know, the whole thing of everybody trying to make everything simple, right? So, and that's that's kind of what SolidFire does is it makes storage simple. The idea is you, you have two levers. You have performance and you have capacity. And that's it. You don't have to worry about anything else. We, you know, the, the cluster itself takes care of the rest and you can't get much simpler than that. So, so I do think that this is a great time to point out that, uh, it was kind of swallowed up amongst all the other news over the last uh, week and a half or two weeks, but the, uh, the NetApp Docker volume plugin now supports our three primary storage platforms. Uh, so whether using solid fire on tap or E series, Right, they're Woo. all equally equally supported and equally easy to use from a Docker user perspective. Yeah, and it's awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, I, th- I think what's great uh, the 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 behind the scenes of that I think are really cool. Like we basically closed on the acquisition of SolidFire as a company. I think in early February, February second. Right? Yeah, and uh, I think we had uh, the storage. Or, or, I'm sorry, the, the SolidFire integration uh, proof of concept ready based on. John's existing code. I mean, it's not like we wrote it from scratch. We stole it from John, you know, with his permission, right? It's open source. It's uh, it's not stealing. But yeah, exactly. It's open source. So we 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 stole it from open source, and uh, we had it working. I think at the beginning of April, right? I mean, in yeah. terms of in terms of NetApp moving fast, I, I just I think that's a, a a perfect example of the fact that you know we just we knew that was necessary. We pulled it in quickly. The two teams worked together, right? Um, the, the, there's there's a great portion of the Solifier team that's been focused in kind of this new area. We all came together as part of this conference as well, um, just kind of I guess as a lead into that. So, uh, uh, but but that all came together very quickly. We we have a great relationship with that team. I evidenced by John and I on this podcast together, but. Um, you know, uh, Kelsey, who ran DockerCon, the logistics, you know, uh, Kelly and Brendan. Kelly's from SolidFire. Brendan's from, from, from NetApp. And they're both uh, marketing folks. And, and they work really closely together all the time, both on OpenStack and containers, right? And I, I just think the OpenStack and containers teams at the two companies came together faster by far than any other other groups. And we work better together than, I mean, we're basically the same team now. And I just, oh, yeah. it, it's yeah. awesome. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I have to. I mean, I have to echo a lot of of what Garrett just said, and it's it's been it's been pretty amazing, actually. You know, from the from the first phone call I had with Garrett was like, I think it was day two, um, and it was like, yeah, we, we've we're working on this container stuff too, and blah, blah blah, and this is what we're doing. And I was like, hey, that's what I'm doing here. Well, it was like just perfect mesh, and then next thing I know, 
uh, Rippy and, and Garrett and everybody just took all the code, added it to theirs. Boom! Here, hey, check this out. It works. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's been it's been really awesome. It's it's been cool. Um, so that that aspect of of the acquisition and everything is, I, I don't think anybody could ask for it to go any better. It's been cool. I couldn't agree more. I think it's been a blast working uh, working with both, well, all three sides of the house because we also got some pretty good help from the uh, E Series guys. We did, yeah. Right, they were uh, super happy and and very complimentary of the uh, of Rippy and the amount of help that they got from from his side of the house. Yeah, so. in fact, Keith uh, Moyer came out, he came out with us to DockerCon. He was a part of the contingent as well. And uh, yeah, Matt on the E Series side, we worked super close with them too. And they and they were able to toss together some code really quickly based on uh, the storage driver interface we were providing inside of our Docker volume plugin. And uh, and it's it's been great all around. I th- I think. These kind of emerging technology groups in general are, you know, even in large companies like this, tend to think in very similar ways that make it easy for us to come together. And I think that's probably what you're seeing, too, at these larger companies as well, is there's a smaller emerging kind of innovation team that is really leading the charge or individual developers are spinning this stuff up themselves, right? And uh, and moving very quickly and the rest of the company is, is benefiting from that. So I just, I, I kind of see it happening here too and I think it's awesome. So, uh, you know, all, all the all the love fest going on between the three product lines, I, I think it's great. Um, it's stuff that um, internally we've been working together really well. Um, I, I hope that we can talk about that more and more externally as time goes on because, you know, all all the product lines, and I say the three main storage ones, right? We have two others as well, right? Alta Vault and Storage Grid. Um, you know, it, it's it's one big happy team, so to speak, and we really do work pretty closely. Um, you know, Garrett and I have worked with the Storage Grid guys on containerizing that product before. So, uh, so that was day one. Uh, day two was a little bit different. Um, it was a bit of a different keynote, at least in the morning for me, in that it featured specifically Docker Data Center. Um, and it was particularly interesting to me because there was only one feature, uh, I guess you can call it a feature, that was announced. Everything else was just showcasing the functionality that's already there. Uh, so the feature that was announced is the Docker Store, where you can go in and through, uh, rather than a completely open Docker Hub type mentality where anybody can go in and pull anything at any time, Docker Store is more of a controlled interface. And in particular, where companies can have official products or official versions of their products hosted. Uh, so any any thoughts on that, gentlemen? Sure. So I, I mean, I think it's a great move. One of the biggest concerns that, that, we, that, that I think companies have had from a, from a legal perspective is how do I wrap this new application distribution mechanism in something that protects me, you know, legally, you know, all, all these things. I think that the store is going to be a great way to do that. Plus, I think it gives people the opportunity, I mean, to have maybe revenue generating images out there, right? Things that actually are providing some kind of uh, direct revenue back to the companies that are that are contributing to that. It's probably, a, it's a great thing for Docker too, because I'm sure that they're going to take a cut of that, right? Um, similar to what Apple does with the App Store and, 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 and Google with, you know, the Play Store and things like that. So um, that all makes a lot of perfect sense to me. I think that the uh, uh, thing for NetApp too is that it, it'll give us, make it easier for us to contribute things out that the people can consume that way too. And so I'm looking forward to that. It's a, it's a huge step, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that I just pull random stuff off of 
Docker Hub, which I know you're not supposed to do, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> right. <I'm laughs> but, but, but in terms of like, now. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do it in a VM and then I nuke the VM, so it's safe. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of an interesting um, direction to go, right? And I think it's a smart direction to go because you, you can actually start putting things up there and and having them be official, um, have them be secure. Um, you can even sell them, right? I see that happening in the future, um, all kinds of stuff. So um, I, th- I think it's going to make a, a huge difference um, for companies, not only, you know, again, build, ship, deploy, all that stuff, right? But now sell it, distribute, <laughs> you know, the whole thing. So soup to nuts, it's all Docker all the time. <laughs> so so I, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to uh all of the people that went to DockerCon with us that made that event a success. Um, I had already mentioned some of the people before, uh, but Kelsey obviously wrangled all of us and got the whole thing together, put together the booth plans with uh, help from Kelly and, and, and Brendan, and I think that went together swimmingly. Um, also, we had people out there from our ATG group, including uh, Ardalon and Chris. Um, there were some great things that, that they had done leading up to the conference, including uh, two demos that we had at the booth. We had, uh, I think, six demos at the booth that were new, and we had a bunch of other ones that we've been building up over time. So we had a lot of great uh, representation there. Um, we had uh, Kaslin from the, uh, the the Bellevue office, as well as um, you know Keith from the E-Series team that I mentioned earlier. Uh, we had the the alliances team. Almost the enti- the the entire strategic alliances team was out there because obviously there's a lot of you know interesting players out there that we need to be looking at. So um, you know for everyone from uh, Peter to Annika uh, to uh, to Kevin, of course uh, Val and Amy were out there uh, talking to analysts. And uh, Laura from the Solidfire office helped put all that together. We had a huge press release that, on Monday that was all uh, spearheaded by that team. Um, and uh, you know, I, Josh as well, which we made fun of earlier uh, <laughs> for going to Portland first, or, uh, was there as well. So anyway, it, was, it was a huge effort. Keith uh, Norby on the biz dev side on Solidfire too uh, helped make a lot of good introductions and spearheaded off the Mesosphere booth presence that we had and all that. So a lot of work goes into these things um and i think that everybody should really be patting themselves on the back for for what a great job they did and i'm really looking forward to the next one it'll be awesome yeah so there i'll add on a, a couple of things for any of our listeners if you're interested in more information about anything whether it be uh, our thoughts opinions on docker docker con the demos any of that other stuff you can always reach out to us through open source at netapp.com that basically hits the entire team it's the email address that we post to all of our blog posts on on the newly redesigned and revamped netapp.github.io so if you're interested in any of the technical content and you want to see uh, a a blog post that goes into more detail as well as the videos those will be posted over the next couple of weeks Uh, so we're going through and taking those creating posts right including all the relevant bits and pieces of code and all that and we'll be posting them uh, in short order so, and just one last shout out: the Docker Volume plugin is on GitHub. Uh, it's open source. It's uh, if you just go to uh, GitHub.com/netapp, you can find it there. Uh, it's one of the top repos, and then uh, it's called NetApp DVP. And uh, like I said, it's open source. Spin it up. Let us know what you think. If you have any issues, file an issue. If you have any feature requests, you know, you can actually write the code yourself and submit it to us. <laughs> 
do it yourself. Do it yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, so it's interesting you say that, right? One of the one of the interesting things about you know working in open source is well, everything is worked in the open, right? When you file an issue, it goes on to GitHub. You know, so we've had uh, an, an internal learning curve of hey, when you want an RFE, right? Put it on to GitHub, right? If you find a bug, put it on to GitHub, right? It's none of the internal tracking tools anymore. Yeah. Very cool. We should actually do a lead out with ShakaCon. That's what we did for all of the DockerCon meetings. Yeah. <laughs> there was this big ShakaCon dance party that happened at the beginning of each one. That was awesome. ShakaCon. I don't think I can get the rights for that. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Picking it up. But it would be worth it. I think you should sing it for us, Gary. No. That's no. not going to happen. Nobody wants that. Can you do a line of Rock Me Amadeus? I know that's not ShakaCon, but I just want to hear you do it. Nope. Not happening. All right. Cool. All right. Garrett. John. Thanks for stopping by. Um, if you would like, tell us how we can get in touch with you on social media, starting with John. So on social media, Twitter, JDG underscore eight. Are you the eighth JDG? Yeah. I, for some reason, I got eight when I got my Gmail account years and years ago, um, and I've always just stuck with eight. I don't know why. I don't even like that number. But it's, oh well. it's probably the worst number. It, it, I, as far as numbers go, it's pretty shady. What's wrong with eight? Why do you guys have such a hate fest for eight? Oh, you flip it sideways oh, and it's like almost it's infinity. infinity. I know. It's See, awesome. that's the thing. That, uh, exactly. Eight is shady. It's just got all kinds of things it's going on. Duplicitous. Yep. <laughs> Garrett, how do we get touch with you on social media? I am energy. I-N-N-E-R-G-Y on Twitter. Did you forget how to spell energy? Uh, yes. No, actually, I'm sure that was taken. Probably. So yeah. Funny enough, Garrett actually got some uh, Twitter publicity leading into DockerCon because the, uh, <laughs> one of the sessions, because they did the the way they did the sponsor sessions was this weird back-to-back -back thing. So it made it look like NetApp and Red Hat were presenting together with Garrett and one of the Red Hat guys talking about security and containers. Uh, so. So I got a lot of free press from the Red Hat folks. Nice. It was like Garrett's going to talk about security and containers. Oh, so I, I was scrambling at the last minute to make sure I had my material together <laughs> for that talk as well as our own. Guys, thanks for joining us today, talking about DockerCon. Um, hopefully you guys can come in again sometime soon. Cool. Thank you, guys. Yeah, appreciate it. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you'd like to share today, leave us a review on behalf of the entire Tech on Tap Podcast team, as well as Garrett Mueller and John Griffith. Thanks for listening. So you, so you know what did live up to the hype in Seattle? What? Oh, yeah. The number of Starbucks. Really? There is an alarming number of Starbucks. Did you go to the original one? It's so cool. I did. Yeah, the line was like an hour and a half yeah, long. Ridiculous. Forget it's that. Dumb. You know, we went to a place called Zeitgeist Coffee. Oh, yeah. Which is right is next to Rain Shadow Beach. Oh, yeah. Did you go to the Pike Market and watch them throw the fish? I yes. did. Yeah. That's always fun. Did you catch fish? No. It's always fun. I, have, I, I didn't want to bring a fish home. <laughs> <laughs>